Next weekend starts our big screen series. We'll be talking about the movie Hidden Figures. And so uh, we just want to invite you to, to be here um, the week after Thanksgiving. It'll be about three weekends, and that'll lead us right up into candlelight. So I think there's like 35 days now to Christmas morning. Um, so if that, I don't know if that encourages you or discourages you, but it's going to happen either way. Um, let me wel- welcome you. Um, if you have not been here um, the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series on First John. And so uh, week one... Uh, we talked about how God is light and sin is dark and how John was really trying to pull people out of darkness and in, into light and saying, hey, God is over here and sin is over there and there's no gray area. So you you, you got to pick one. And um, and so we really challenged you on, on that to make a, a firm de- decision on week one. Uh, last week, we talked about keeping our thoughts in check and uh, just kind of letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide our thought life, giving our minds a back door, a way, a way to let, let thoughts go. And we talked about uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And um, so that was kind of our, our, our challenge last week was to keep ourselves in check. And then this week, we're going to wrap this series up, and we're going to talk about the main theme that really has worked its way through all of 1 John, and that's the, uh, the, the thought of confidence, okay? And so I, I know I keep coming back to this, but it's very important that we maintain context in, in this series. But keep in mind that John is, is speaking. He's written this letter as a circuit letter, meaning that it's going to go to many, many, many churches and a lot of leaders are going to see it and, and, and teach from it. And so John is saying, hey, we got to get this thing right as we're making the, 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 the bottom layer of Christianity known. We, we got to get this part right. And so his audience has been listening to a, a Gnostic type of theology. And a lot of people are, are losing confidence in what they originally heard. And so um, in, in modern-day Christianity, there's no doubt that, that all of us have struggled in some way with confidence when it comes to walking with, with God. Um, our, our walk with God, if, if you were to graph it, you would, you would wish that it would make one line that, that was going upward throughout your lifespan, but it's not like that. Um, sometimes you dip in into valleys. Sometimes you lose energy and zeal. Um, sometimes, based upon circumstances, you get discouraged and your faith is challenged. And so, in that, there's some there's some up and down moments with with your firmness, with your confidence in in God. And so, I want to um, just kind of lay a groundwork for just being being confident. Many. Many times we ask ourselves things like, um, is, is God really, really here? Is he, is he on my side? And we filter him with, uh, with our circumstances. So we look around at our world experience and we see things that we don't like and we ask ourselves, is God really involved? I mean, is, is he really a personal God? And so we look at at our life, we, we look at how someone could walk into a church in Texas and hurt people, and we look at how someone could randomly hurt a crowd in Vegas at a concert, and then we look at third world countries, and we say, you know, why, why in a modern age are people still struggling to find fresh water? I mean, where is 
Where is the God who created the universe and spoke it into existence and formed man from the dust of the ground? And, and, and we filter God and who he is to us through the situations and circumstances of life. And we lose confidence. And in a lot of ways, it's not fair. And it's a very deep series. And maybe we'll tackle it sometimes as to why those things can even happen and transpire. So I want to ask if you've ever had a moment when you were 100% confident in your own ability. Maybe it was just a season or a moment of life and you were completely prepared for it and you knew things are going to turn out right because everything has matched up to this point, and today it's going to go well. I don't know if you've ever had that particular moment. I hope you have. I hope we all have. But there was a moment in my life when I was 13 years old. I was playing baseball, and uh, my father was my, my coach throughout my, my, my baseball career, if that's what we can even call it. And I love the sport. I grew up on it, and... I was really quick, and so if I got on base, it was no problem stealing bases. It was getting on base to begin with. I had no problem catching, throwing, loved it, but I could not. I struggled to bat, and most of it was centered around fear. I couldn't get confident in batting because I was so stricken with fear of being hit with a pitch. And so my father designed this little thing of rollers. It would imagine like you know an old factory needing to roll a crate down a big. He, he got a bunch of those and he put them behind me. And so whenever I would back up, I would, I would step on it and trip. And it was his way of saying, stay in the batter's box. So anytime I would go to practice, he'd put those things of rollers on my heels and I'd know where to go. And then our assistant coach thought, well, why don't we do some, you know, exposure response therapy, and we'll throw baseballs at him, and then he'll get used to what it's like to get hit with a ball. So they did that. So I had rollers behind me, and they would pitch balls at me and hit me, and then they'd hit me a little bit harder, and then it got abusive, and I called in the government to help me. But there was this moment when all of that was done and my confidence kind of, there was a point in time, and it was when I was 13, that the fear kind of left and confidence kind of took its place. And so we were going to this ball game. It was the first or second one of the season. I can't remember now, but I remember it was early on. And my father kind of gave me this talk. Hey, today is the day. It's going to come together. Listen, we've got months invested in this, and all the other elements of your game are working, but we got to fix this batting issue. And so this, this is it. I mean, we, we put the time in. Today is it. I had a lot of confidence. I told him, it's going to happen. This is it. So I got up, and I always loved the first or second pitch. I never liked the pressure of three balls, two strikes, I, 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 or three strikes, no balls. I always liked the first or second pitch. Before the count got big, I wanted to hit something. So I swung at the first or second pitch, and, and it was great. It felt good on my hands. It, it just connected well. I knew it, and it was, it was gone. I'd never hit a home run in my life, but I looked down the line. My dad was on first base coaching, and I saw it in his face, and he started doing this, like round the bags, enjoy it. And, and, and so I, 
I started implementing what I had seen on television, and so I start pointing at the crowds, and I'm thanking my mom for all the meals she's provided that led my life up to this point. And all of a sudden, I look out. I'm almost to first base, and I hear my dad say, enjoy it, enjoy it. He's making the, 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 the notion like, just round the bags, enjoy it. You worked hard for it. And I look, and the trajectory of the ball came down, hit the top of the fence, and bounced back into play. And I made a single off of what should have been a home run. I was so devastated, I couldn't even run anymore. I was just, forget it. And I look at that metaphorically, and I think about how many times in my life I have felt confident about something and prepared for something, and the ball hit the top of the fence. And I think about just how, how that felt, the letdown, every time. It's just a disappointment. You kind of lose confidence. Like, what happened? You look back, you reassess, and you're like, you know, I, I, I prepped for that, and I prayed over it, and I, I thought about it, and I got wisdom on it, and I just, you know, you've got all your ducks in a row about it, and then it hits the top of the fence and bounces into play, and, and you just, it takes a while to rebound from it, whether it was a marriage, whether it's, it's the way you're raising your, your children, you think this is going to be a home run, and, and, it, and it's not. Or you look at your career, you got a lot invested in it, you got a lot of training in it, but now that, that you're there, you're not happy, and your ball has just hit the top of the fence and bounced back into play. And we experience this on a lot of levels, and oftentimes it bleeds into our spiritual walk. Because of how we experience the world, we take those experiences and they become the lens by which we see God. We say, well, I'm disappointed in life, so I'm disappointed in you. And I don't have any confidence in life, so I have no confidence in you. And John feels this in his audience. He's like, hey, I, I, I can feel it. I see it. You're losing confidence in what you've been taught. This is why he tells them many times, I was with Jesus and I heard him say this. He's saying it's not my philosophy, it's not my interpretation of Scripture. This is a story I am writing out to you that I heard from Jesus Christ himself. And so I want to ask you the simple question as we get started this morning. Do you have total confidence in Jesus? Do you have total confidence in Christ? The audience we're talking about today was having a confidence crisis. People were walking away from Christianity. Teachers were distorting the truth. They were struggling to stay anchored in what they had previously been taught. I don't know about you, but that sounds like some people that I know personally. They are in a confidence crisis. Sometimes when I read articles or I watch the news, I see people in a confidence crisis. I watch a lot of debate about various things, and I see people in a confidence crisis. They're asking themselves the question, is God real? They're asking themselves, is Scripture a true authority in my life? Or is it just a compilation of letters written by New Testament leadership that all came together mysteriously, and now we've bound it in leather, we call it the Holy Bible? Is, is, it, is it an authority in my life? And they're wrestling with it. They're saying, is there an absolute truth, or am I the one who gets to dictate that? Am I the one who gets to determine 
what's truth and what's not. I mean, why should I hear it from someone else when I have the wherewithal to determine it on my own? In other words, they say, can I just do what feels right to me and then make it right in my theology? The outcome of that is you have a lot of people who call themselves Christian, but they all worship a different God that they have erected through their own intellect. They've put together pieces of what they believe is right or real and then negated everything that they feel is not real. And so everyone ends up, it's not an opinion, it's not, it's not a theological stance, it's a different God that they have put together and said, well, in my mind, that's the God that I'm going to worship. These questions and many more have left countless Christians in a confidence crisis. And so I want to tell you what John is going to say about this, and we're going to wrap the day up, and then we're going to take communion. 1 John chapter 5, let's read 13, 14, and 15 together. I'm going to read from the Message Bible today because, honestly, I just like the way it's put. He says this, My purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion And how bold and free we then become in his presence, freely asking according to his will, sure or certain, that he is listening. And if we're confident that he's listening, we know that what we've asked for is as good as ours. Saying you got to have confidence in this thing. Let me give you three quick thoughts. The first one is this, to have confidence that God loves you first. Loves you first. I know that sounds real elementary, but just stay with me for just a moment. We talk about God loving us. Oftentimes, we teach it from the position that God loved us first, past tense. And to put that into past tense robs us of what's happening right now and what will happen tomorrow. And so a lot of times, and we don't do it intentionally, but we set it up systemically in our faith, and in our, in our thinking. We take on this story of faith. We join in in this faith. We give our life over to God. It's not a lordship issue. It's just the way we've put it down in our spirit, and we need to alter it some. And so we think, okay, God loved me. He sent his son to die on the cross. His part of the work is finished. Now it's up to me to maintain the remainder of this relationship. And that can be so heavy on all of us. We think, well, if I, if I mess up, then it's all messed up. And if I'm not living by faith, then it's all messed up. And, and, if, and if I sin, then it, it all falls a, a apart. Because I'm responsible for maintaining the relationship. God's part is already done. So we need to change that in our faith and understand that God loves us presently, currently. It's not finished. It's not over. It's the ongoing, unconditional, deep, responsive type of love that only a parent can give a child. That's what God has for us. God has always been the initiator, and we are the responders, yes, but being respond, but responding and responsibility are two completely different things. 
So when I respond to God, you being here this morning is a response to that love. I'm going to go to church and honor God with other believers. I'm going to come together. Your worship is a response to God. Your giving is a response to God. Your serving is a response to God. All of these things are are you saying, God, I am on board in this relationship. I'm not responsible for all of it, but I'm certainly going to respond. There's got to be some confidence. And if we're really honest this morning, sometimes we read our, our Bible or we hear a message or we have a conversation with a friend and we lose confidence because we see ourselves. James tells us the Word of God is like a, a, a mirror, and sometimes we look at ourselves, and I, I'm, I can only speak for myself, but sometimes I get into the Word, and I don't like what I see because I know me. I know what my weak areas are. I know what the, what the areas are in my life that need, need to be confronted and challenged and shaped. And so when I come across teaching in the Word of God that hits that, sometimes it, it's, it's frightening to me because I, I see myself. And I go, man, I'm not lining up with that. And so it's very easy for us to lose confidence and then feel like the whole thing has to fall apart. But John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, that he came to us, and that he pursued us. Okay, John is trying to get across in his gospel that God is love. It's his character. It's not just a gift bestowed that we receive. It is him as a point of his character. You cannot separate God from love. He is love. As a matter of fact, if, there was, if love was a, a river, God would be the source of it. It always is going to go back to him. So when we stand in front of someone at a marriage ceremony and we, we tell them, I'm, I'm making a vow to you and a vow to God in front of our, our friends, we're going to be in covenant relationship, and we talk that out, that, what you're experiencing right there, is from God. It originates from God. When you have a child, and I, I, I re- remember this well, we, when Riley was born, we had already lost a child, and so having another was scary to us, and, and so we, we are looking at this child, and we have a specialist there, making sure heart's all right, and everything's great, and, and, and so I, I remember just the feeling of just, just warmth, almost euphoric, out-of-body experience. Love like a concrete weight, just kidding you, just understanding full well that everything in your life is now changing because you're a father and you love a kid. Over my career, I've worked in a hospital a few times, and even though I didn't work in these areas, I heard the conversations. There would be people who, children who needed a transplant. And the parents would say, I, I'm, I'm willing. I remember this more than one time. The parents would say, I, I'm willing to give my child an organ even if I don't go on without it. Of course, there's a big conflict, bioethics involved and all those things. But, but the fact that it was even spoken, that kind of love originates from God. When you're with a friend, you have a close friend, and, 
and, and they bring value to your life and you laugh with them or they tell you the truth about, about everything. Hey, man, your breath stinks. Hey, your hair doesn't look too good. Hey, you need to burn that, that dress. I mean, you got, you got friends who tell you the, the real deal. They bring something to our lives and we love them for it. That type of love originates from God. All love belongs to him. And John is saying, this is what he has for you now, not what he had for you. It is present tense. The second thing is I want you to have confidence that God is listening to you. All right? Let me give you a marriage example. Robbie and I love each other most of the time. And sometimes we do not communicate very well. And even though we love each other when we do not communicate well, that, that tension, it, it makes for a tough moment. And sometimes if it lasts long, it makes for a tough season. But believing that God loves us but does not listen to us is just as impossible as a marriage that claims to have love but does not have communication, right? Job says it this way. He says, God speaks in this way or that way, but man does not perceive it. Meaning this, that God is speaking and we're not picking it up. He's saying, listen, God is talking to you. He is speaking about it. He is telling you things, but you are not picking it up. And here's why. A lot of us want communication the way we have it with each other. We want a letter from God. We want an email from God. We want God to text us. Hey, have a great day. Looking after you. We want God to send us things. I've never once in my life wanted God to talk to me audibly. Not one time. I've actually prayed against it. Lord, please do not speak to me audibly. The reason why is because 90% of the time when God speaks, it starts with fear not. Okay, I don't want any of that. All right? Fear not. All right? But I would take the other ways. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 15, it says, And if we know, there's our confidence, if we know that he hears and listens to us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. He does go on to clarify and give a disclaimer in verse 14 that anything we ask needs to be according to his will, okay? For example, I've prayed for a decade now for a Ferrari to just show up in my driveway, but apparently it's not God's will, okay? Now, Christmas is coming up, so if 10 of y'all want to get together, I love the color red, Okay? We can be confident that God is listening to us, but we must pray according to his will. God, what do you want for my life? What do you want for my, my family? Okay. Psalm 145 and 18 says simply this, God is there listening for all who pray. In fact, he's not only listening, he is speaking. I want to quickly, I want to give you just a few ways that God can speak to us right now. I'm going I'm to do this in two minutes tops. But I want to give you some ways, and if you're a note taker, I want you to write these down because they could be significant for you to think about later on today. The ways that God speaks to us right now are done in this way. Number one, Scripture. Okay, listen, there are two things that are going to make it out of this life, the Word of God and the people of God. That's it. Those are the only two things that are, that are going to last. Word of God, people of God. So he uses Scripture to confront us, to challenge us, to love us, to spur us on, to guide us and direct us. The second thing is desires. 
you got to listen to what God is stirring in you right now. What are things I'm passionate about? What are things that I love doing? And he's using those things to, to move you. Okay, now let me tell you quickly about these deep desires. When I got into ministry, I was 16 years old, and I felt the call of ministry. And I went and I preached my very first time to a youth group that I was in for, formerly. Seven people were in there. I preached seven minutes. It was powerful. Okay? Seven powerful minutes. And so I left there and I thought, man, you know, I, I, that was terrible. But maybe God, in all of his grace, wants to use me in this. I went back to my youth pastor. I began to talk with him. And I told him, I said, man, listen, there's one problem with this desire that's in my heart to preach the gospel. He said, what is it? I said, I don't want to be a missionary. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, I, I, don't, I just don't. I, don't. I don't want to go to Africa and live there and, and, and teach. I, I just don't. I mean, does that disqualify me? And he was like, listen, I think you're worrying about, about nothing. And so I had such a desire for the local church I loved it. Man, I'd, I'd go to the church every day and just do something. I'd set up chairs and take down tables and clean out the baptistry and, and just anything. I just wanted to be there in the building doing something. But I was so overwhelmed with this missionary thing. And so I just kept going back to him, and I kept going back to him. I said, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a missionary. And, and so I'm just scared to put my whole heart into ministry. And then he set me free with this. He said, listen, God is going to use the desires of your heart, and he's going to lead you. And so if the desire of your heart is the local church, fall in love with that and let God strengthen you in that area, and then you can help people who are called into missions. And it was so freeing to me. That suddenly, you know what I mean, because I was thinking, what about Jonah? He didn't want to go. He got swallowed by a fish and spit up. I mean, what if it happens to me and I get swallowed and wake up in Swaziland? I mean, I don't want to do any of that. But he was like, listen, you got to realize that the desires of your heart is what God is going to use. Third, doors. Which doors in your life are closing? Which doors in your life are opening? Okay, realize that when your faith is in Christ, he is ordering your steps. That's what the Word tells us. Okay, so as he causes me to move, things are going to open, things are going to close, and I need to celebrate both of those, all right? Okay, fourth, dreams. God is going to give you dreams. It's even prophesied that in the last days, people are going to have dreams, spiritual dreams with significance. Now, I've told you there's two big kinds of dreams. The first one is a God dream. The second one is a Marcos pizza dream, Okay. You want the first one, you don't want the second one, okay? No Marcos after 10 p.m. completely disqualifies you from having a spiritual dream. But you will feel the work of the Holy Spirit in your life in that dream, and it will clarify to you. The next one is people. What are the people in your life who you love, what are they saying to you about your life? When you ask them about things, about relationships, hey, should I date this person? Hey, should I break up with this person? Hey, um, what about this in my marriage? You need to find people who are ahead of you in the game. What are they saying uh, to you? And we need to listen. The next thing is prompting you, a prompt. Okay, prompts happen very fast, and un they're unpredictable. Okay, many times for me they happen, I'll be in a restaurant, hey, I want you to pay for that person. Hey, I want you to talk to this person. Hey, I want you to invite this person to, uh, to a church. Hey, I want you to send a text to this person right now and encourage them. Just a prompting, just what is God saying. And last is pain. 
pain. When we experience pain, pain's a huge motivator. It causes us to look at our life and go, maybe right now is a great time to change some things. Maybe it's a great time to set some new, new goals because this ain't working anymore. Okay, pain is, is, is a motivator. All right, my last point this morning, and I'm going to have the guys go ahead and serve you communion. So stay dialed in with me, but you're, you're going to see them moving around and serving communion. And guys, if you don't mind, will you serve me up here? Will you just bring me a cup and, and, and set it down right there? 1 John chapter 5. I want to end with this thought. Verse 4 in 1 John chapter 5. Okay, again, this is from the Message Bible. This is what he says. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, simply the one. Simply the one. I want that to resonate with you for just a moment. When we lose confidence, oftentimes it's because we're so worked up with our insecurities. We see Scripture. We read it. We hear a message. It challenges us. And we say, man, that is something that I just cannot win at right now. Okay? Listen, again, your goal is to just allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. You are not responsible for the work, but you are responsible for opening your life to the work of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 4 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Don't lose confidence because you are in a struggle. Jesus even tells us, you're going to struggle. The world is going to hate you, he said. But know this, it hated me first. That's what his teaching was. This would be really different if Jesus came and he said, listen, everything's going to be great. Once you become a Christian, you're never going to have to worry about anything. But it was actually the opposite of that. He said, they're going to hate you. The world is not going to be well for you. So do not be confused that this, this is not heaven. But we have to tarry. And we have to stay confident in our relationship with Jesus Christ until eternity finds us. Last week I ended with this application. I'm going to give it to you again. I said rest, resist, and insist. Rest, resist, and insist. You need to rest in knowing that Jesus Christ is the author and he's the finisher. You are in him. He is in you. It's not a loved, it's a loves. And have confidence in knowing that rest in him. Kind okay, of hear me because this is going to be really strong. So just hear me. If reading God's word gives you anxiety, you need to change your theology. 
Because the word gospel means good news. And if you are reading God's word and then you leave under some cloud of condemnation, you're listening to the wrong voice. You are striving in your Christianity. You're trying to finish what Jesus has already finished. Okay? So take it on. Rest in him. Resist the temptation that God is not listening to you. And then insist on finishing well. As we're wrapping up another year, we're approaching the holiday season. Some of you are already penciling out your goals for next year. Well, let's just finish this year well. Let's cross the tape. Let's hit, hit the tape well. And just finish what the Lord has started in us this year. He's done a lot of phenomenal things for our church. But we just want to be able to finish well. Listen, you guys stay with me if you will, okay?